Much of what happens in government could be described in several adjectives. Arcane, bureaucratic, cryptic, dastardly? Okay, that last one is an adverb, but the words put together in every installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement are intended to try to make sense of things that could be described as either obscure, obtuse, or dare I say, obnoxious? I'm your host, Sean Tubbs, and this installment is another deep dive in an attempt to chart some of the current waters. On today's program, the Albemarle County Board of Supervisors adopts strategic plan goals to help guide budgetary decisions. The Charlottesville City Council and Planning Commission are asked to weigh in on efforts to rewrite the city's zoning code to reduce obstacles to development. And the two bodies largely support eliminating minimum lot sizes, but there was more concern from at least one city councilor about an idea to increase density for deeply affordable housing projects. In this first subscriber-supported shout-out, Charlottesville Community Bikes believes that bicycles can be a means to social change, addressing issues of equity, access, and inclusion. They provide free bikes to adults who need one and have a special program that provides free bikes to children. Their mobile bike repair clinics continue on November 3rd from 3.30 to 5 p.m. with a stop at Riverside Drive. Want to learn more or support their work? Charlottesville Community Bikes currently is seeking matching funds for a grant from the Outride Fund. Visit charlottesvillecommunitybikes.org to learn more. Longtime readers and listeners know by now that this newsletter and podcast seeks to give information about various plans, be they site, comprehensive, small area, biodiversity action, strategic, or otherwise. Local governments in Albemarle and Charlottesville have hundreds of employees, and in order to run an organization, you need some kind of documents to coordinate what everyone's doing. Or in many cases, you don't. In any case, the Albemarle Board of Supervisors made progress with two overarching plans at their meeting on October 19, 2022. The first was the strategic plan, which sets six overarching goals for what the county government hopes to achieve. These goals and their objectives can be reviewed on the county's website. There's a link in the newsletter to the staff report for the October 19th work session. Christy Shiflett, Director of Performance and Strategic Planning for Albemarle County, was on hand to update supervisors on various changes as well as community feedback. The significance of the strategic plan is the role it plays in guiding future spending. The intention is that this will inform our next steps as you'll start talking about the five-year financial plan in November. Performance indicators for the strategic plan are tied to the progress toward specific projects and initiatives. One change made since the board's last discussion in September was the addition of a paragraph centering the six-member elected body's role in county governance. Here's that new paragraph. The Board of Supervisors sets the policy direction for the future and local government staff, implementing it through their public service. These efforts are maximized through board staff collaboration guided by the Board of Supervisors operating guidelines for high-quality governance and the pillars of high performance. A lot of the changes made since September are wordsmithing, such as adding the word engaged to goal two, 
resilient, equitable, and engaged community. Objectives under this goal include implementing the Climate Action Plan and implementing Stream Health Initiatives. Under Goal 4, Quality of Life, the phrase Refresh Project Enable has been changed to Update Project Enable. Project Enable is Albemarle's strategic plan for economic development. The wording for another objective under Goal 4 related to open space, and it was also changed. We focused more instead of um, the development area. We have changed this to urban neighborhoods to be more focused in on what we heard about being able to have um, the areas that don't have the spaces or the walkability um, to do the parks and recreational opportunities. Shiflet also went through a long list of themes that emerged from a round of community feedback that closed earlier this month. One of these was to increase services in the rural area, while another was to preserve rural character. Supervisor Ann Malik of the Whitehall District said that would lead to interesting conversations. Because there are lots of people who do not want that at all. And so there are many, many villages in the Whitehall District that uh, are not eager to have lots more commerce move in. They might love to have a little grocery be brought back to life. The rural character and the increased services are sometimes in tension with each other. Another broad theme in community feedback related to a desire by some for redevelopment to occur in the urban areas. That gave Supervisor Ned Galloway some pause. When I see anything that says that the public body should invest in redevelopment and improvements of existing properties, we have, we have no capacity to do that. I mean, it's not, it's, they're private property owners. But this is a constant conversation that comes up when we look to the development area, when folks see underutilized shopping centers or open storefronts and things that could have things in them and think that we can do something. Galloway said the county's role is to set guidance through plans, such as the Rio Road Small Area Plan that was adopted in December of 2018. Shiflet said the strategic plan is intended to be wide-ranging at this point as specifics get filled in. These are broad, and so you're soon going to hear specifics about how our organization plans to support the community and develop progress and performance underneath of these things. Supervisor Jim Andrews said he would like to make clear that the Biodiversity Action Plan is called out as something to clearly implement. He also asked to add a line about emergency services and long-term resiliency. Supervisors approved the strategic plan's goals and objectives on a 6-0 vote. In a future edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, there will be a summary on the supervisor's review of the draft framework for equity and resilience. That's part of the update of the County Comprehensive Plan. You can learn more about that in an article about the Planning Commission's discussion from September 27, 2022. But first, we're going to move on to Charlottesville. I record a lot of meetings and have hundreds and hundreds of them from the past two and a half years that I've been working on this platform. I have thousands if you want to go back to 2005. I also deliberately avoid calling each story I write as an example of news because sometimes it takes me a while to get to something I want to write up, but the conversation is just a little long. 
But there does come a time when it's way too late for me to expand any more time summarizing something that happened in the past. 30 days. Tops. And with that, we come to a long-promised summary of the September 27th, 2022 joint meeting of the Charlottesville City Council and the Charlottesville Planning Commission on the next steps in the zoning ordinance rewrite. I was able to write up half of that conversation in the October 4th, 22 edition of this newsletter. Today, there's finally enough time to get back to the discussion about this latest phase of the Seville Plans Together initiative. Council adopted an affordable housing plan in March of 2021 and a comprehensive plan last November. The zoning is being rewritten to make it easier to build residential units with more density across the entire city. That can take many forms, such as eliminating the role that elected bodies play in making land use decisions and eliminating or reducing requirements. On a broad level, the Commission and the Council were asked to give feedback on specific questions at that September 27, 2022 work session. Let's get right into this write-up with the second of three questions, asked by Lee Einsweiler of Code Studio. Code Studio is a subcontractor hired as part of the Seville Plans Together process. So the second question is really about lot splits. Einsweiler wanted to know the official's thoughts on a new concept that would allow for smaller property subdivisions. We have proposed an idea that is called a sublot, which basically says there's a zoning lot that is allocated rights and has obligations as a whole, but there could be a lot for sale, which is a smaller piece of that. So if you had the main house and three new units, you could actually have four sublots. There would still only be one lot. These units might technically be cheaper due to lower land costs and smaller footprints. Einsweiler said another alternative might be to eliminate minimum lot sizes entirely with subdivisions, but that would require other adjustments as well. So right now, subdivision requires street frontage, right? And it requires a certain width. And those are there for a very real set of reasons, um, which is about access and especially about fire safety. Einsweiler said homes need to be within 150 feet of a fire truck under fire code. Another question is whether different neighborhoods should be treated differently or if there should be one uniform set of rules. In which case we only have to draft one district. So you can make my job very easy, but the challenge of talking to the community a little harder. Planning Commissioner Hosea Mitchell said he supported adding more flexibility by reducing lot sizes. I do believe that uh, a more aggressive um, sublot, I mean, a more aggressive um, reduction in, uh, in, in lot sizes is good and splitting them up is good. I am quite piqued by the uh, sublot concept. So, yeah. And frankly, I think there are places where the elimination of uh, lot sizes uh, makes sense. Commissioner Phil Duranzio said he was in favor of reducing minimum lot sizes as well as elimination of sidewalk requirements. Both would help with financing properties. That unlocks an enormous amount of potential in a couple of things. One, in sub, uh, housing under fourplex models and how those are financed. Uh, we can uh, offload uh, some city money into private hands because for 3.5% down, you can, buy, you can do a four-unit property. Um, secondly, if you 
put them, uh, if you configure them on a sublot that way, and you decide that the common walls are actually property lines at a later date, then you've got four units that you've generated out of four rentals. With regards to the fire department, Duranzio said their modeling for access issues are dated on older designs. Commissioner Kareem Habab asked how affordability would be tracked if there were many sublots. Einsweiler said further work would need to be done in that area if council and the planning commission were to provide that direction. Um, I'm not worried about tracking initial sublots because we have some clients that have successfully done it. I am worried about tracking sublots of sublots of sublots if those begin to happen. Commissioner Liz Russell said she was intrigued by sublots if it leads to additional homeownership opportunities. If it's true that the one of the primary justifications behind minimum lot sizes historically was to maintain a minimum property value threshold for a city, and that's something that you know we're saying, actually no, we want to offer neighborhoods to have a variety of property values, then that seems to be a good avenue to explore. Planning Commissioner Carl Schwartz a resident of the city's 10th and Page neighborhood, said he wanted to make sure that the opportunity to subdivide could be accessible to people who own property but do not have the professional skills of a developer. You know, I, I can imagine, you know, in my neighborhood, people might want to take advantage of having an accessory dwelling unit in their property, but they can't afford to build it. So it would be much easier for them to sell a chunk of their parcel and have someone else build on it. Um, so if it's that simple and it's that easy, um, I think that makes a lot of sense and that does promote more homeownership. Schwartz said for much of this to work, there does need to be a conversation with the Charlottesville Fire Department about access issues. If the sublot thing doesn't work with the fire department, then I, I would definitely recommend eliminating minimum lot sizes. Commission Chair Lyle Soli-Yates also weighed in. I think uh, smaller is better, consistent is better. Um, uh, my home is about 2,000. I think it's fantastic. City Councilor Sina McGill said she would be against different minimum lot sizes across the city because that could propagate racial redlining that historically kept certain people out of neighborhoods. If we do that and don't make it a minimum lot size across the entire city, we're not taking this opportunity to rectify that. City Councilor Michael Payne said he would be open to eliminating minimum lot sizes. To be the big picture goal would seem to be um, allowing more of the type of development of small starter homes. Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook said he has done research into whether many of the goals of the Seaville Plans Together initiative could be thwarted by restrictive covenants, which are part of a properties deed. In most places in the city, the single-family covenant designation uh, had a sunset provision 25, 35 years down the road, but a, a restrictive covenant that did not have a sunset provision was no subdivisions. Snook wanted to know if this would prevent a legal obstacle. Einsweiler said that's another piece of information that is not yet known. We've not asked yet whether sublots would be considered formally a subdivision, and that might have to be litigated before we really knew the answer. Vice Mayor Juan Diego Wade said he was supportive of sublots and eliminating setbacks on some parcels. In just a moment, we'll get to the third question. But first... You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. Since the very beginning of this newsletter, one Patreon supporter has been using his shout out 
to draw your attention to the work of the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Campaign. The campaign is a coalition of grassroots partners, including motivated citizens and volunteers, partner organizations, and local governments who want to promote the use of native plants. We are now in the autumn, and if you're already looking forward to the spring, this is the time to learn about what you need to do to plan to attract pollinators who will help keep native species going. To learn more, visit plantvirginianatives.org to download Piedmont Native Plants, a guide for landscapes and gardens. Now, let's get on to that third question. The third question asked whether areas designated as general residential should be eligible to be considered medium intensity residential if all of the units above the base would be required to be below market that could effectively triple the density. The Charlottesville Low Income Housing Coalition sought support for this position with a petition signed by 203 people. The concern was that the inclusionary zoning provisions that had been suggested did not go far enough. Philip Cash is with the real estate firm HR Advisors. You are talking about potentially allowing middle density into general residential. That's a significantly larger and denser property. Cash said there are examples of that happening, such as in Cambridge, Massachusetts, a city of over 118,000 people in the Boston metropolitan area. He also said those involve heavy subsidies. In Charlottesville, the primary subsidy comes from the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund. This year, there is about $835,000 in new funding, according to a notice of funding availability that went out earlier this month. In April, council learned that about $46.7 million has been dispersed through the fund since 2010. Let's hear more details about what's being asked from Jennifer Koch of the firm Roadside and Harwell, the main contractor for the Seville Plans Together initiative. In general residential areas, the, the comprehensive plan calls for uh, three units or up to four units if you keep the existing house and either um, divide it into multiple uh, units or you add units to the, the property with it. So what the, the question is asking about is, is looking to, to gauge how you all feel about the idea to allow that same base density up to three or four, and then everything above that up to 12 would be um, allowed in general residential if it was affordable at a level you know, to be determined. Commissioner Hosea Mitchell was skeptical. It may be feasible based on two equity multiples, but based on yield, this would not be feasible. So the only way we could do this is, again, I think the question's been answered, is through subsidies. Much of the city's current subsidies are being used for the redevelopment of Friendship Court by Piedmont Housing Alliance and the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority. Commissioner Duranzio said he was in support of anything that could be done to privilege construction of affordable housing, but he would need to see more analysis of how the financing would work. Lee Einsweiler of Code Studio said zoning would also come into effect if the base density was increased. He said existing neighborhoods would likely change if council agreed to make this increase. The decision you have to make if you choose to go there in general residential is what is the urban form that you would allow and is it the same as what you would build under the standard 
market affordability, or are you actually adding bulk, adding mass, an additional story, additional lot coverage, you know, less parking, mm-hmm. less trees? Are we willing to go to those extents to get that affordability in those settings? Commissioner Kareem Habab said the additional bonuses allowed under the inclusionary zoning provisions might be sufficient, but extending the density could open up new land for nonprofits to build new units. Um, the real questions, the valid questions about scale, and um, those are harder to tackle, but. Um, To answer the main question, I do support it, and we'll figure out the scale after, I suppose. Commissioner Liz Russell said she could see the merits of trying to get more units in neighborhoods that are more wealthy and historically more segregated. But she said the future land use map also established some basic parameters for what the community expects. At the same time, um, contrary to what we've said, the density and form and height perhaps should should be in those neighborhoods. Commissioner Carl Schwartz said he supported the idea. For one, it's it's not likely to happen unless somebody's going to, you know, there's going to be grants or subsidies or something like that that's going to come in. Um, so it's not like we're going to see 12-unit um, buildings popping up throughout all the city. Schwartz added that making this change would fulfill the comprehensive plan goal of providing more affordable housing. He said he was not concerned about the issues of form, pointing out that apartment buildings were constructed in the Venable neighborhood before the first zoning code was enacted in 1929. So, you know, we're saying, all right, if you can make it work, if you can get the funding and you can do it, and it's all going to be, um, you know, you got your three or four market rate units and everything above that's affordable, go for it. Add up to 12 if you can fit them on the site. Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg said the city should not listen to what he called a minority of skeptics and should instead seek as much affordability as it can by allowing for reduced setbacks and fewer on-street parking spaces. To me, I think it's a it's a no-brainer uh, to allow additional bulk, uh, to allow those bonuses. At the very least, uh, we need to be maxing out the current uh um, envelope uh, that a building can be built to. Commission Chair Lyle Sola Yates said he supported allowing the additional density. Uh, I, I know this will, will raise some hackles because this could mean some visual changes in some areas, uh, but we're talking about a small number of players who are out to do some good, uh, and I, I want to help them. But it's council that will make the actual vote on the zoning code. Councillor Cena McGill said she supported the idea as long as the new rules don't make it easier to build university housing rather than housing for people with low incomes. Students meet the classification of being below 50, 60, 40, 30 percent AMI usually. The students are living on loans. Not that many of our students don't deserve good housing and fair and affordable housing so they can move forward in life. Um, But that's a separate area of our need. McGill also said she didn't think this would greatly change the character of Charlottesville. City Councilor Michael Payne said he also supported additional bonuses for density. Um, To my mind, our comprehensive plan update and affordable housing strategy, the most important components were deeply affordable housing at 0 to 30 percent AMI. The free market won't provide that deeply affordable housing. That's going to have to come from subsidy. That's going to have to come from our housing authority and nonprofit developers. The Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority has recently begun purchasing property and closed on a property on Montrose Avenue on October 18th. 
They're also currently overseeing the renovation of Crescent Halls, which did not include any additional density above the 105 units that were already on the site. Completion of that project has been delayed, as is the opening of new units at South 1st Street. Councillor Brian Pinkston also supported the idea, and he said the affordability levels could depend on who the developer might be for a specific project. Pinkston was not on council when the comprehensive plan was adopted, but he did have a concern about how changes to the future land use map might be perceived. And it feels like this is sort of like, okay, doing an end run around all those conversations that had. Mayor Snook was sympathetic to that argument because some parts of the city may not be able to handle the additional traffic, whether it be vehicular, pedestrian, or non-motorized. We told folks last year that the difference between general residential and um, medium intensity level would be related to things like the street, the carrying capacity of the streets and other issues like that. Snook said there needs to be a very clear recognition that this approach would not work without deep subsidies. He did not support the idea. My first objection to it overall is that I think this is fundamentally different from and to some extent a betrayal of what we wound up telling people last year. Vice Mayor Wade did support the idea and suggested the housing authority be specifically listed as one of the entities who would be developing the units. It's not just one thing that can do it. I mean, here we're looking at the housing fund, we're looking at habitat and PHA and and um, and bonus um, units and things. But I think that we we need to have the housing authority to they know what they're doing, they know the population, they know how to tap into those funds. Some some funds they can only tap into it. There will be more information about the next steps in future editions of Charlottesville Community Engagement. Here are some other bits of information from this particular meeting. There would be no more planned unit developments in the new city zoning ordinance. Hundreds of homes have been built using these customized zoning districts since the 1990s at density levels higher than allowed under traditional R1 zoning. Consultants have suggested that there be no more discretionary review by city council or the planning commission. That would mean all projects would be judged by staff on a technical basis, such as what's happening with 245 units at 0 East High Street. More on that project coming in a future edition of the show. And no design work has yet been conducted for a sidewalk on Stribling Avenue and other improvements to support 169 units made possible through a rezoning to planned unit development this past April. Southern Development has committed to contributing $2.9 million to that sidewalk improvement, but their permission to begin building is not tied to whether the roadway is ever improved. And that's it for this edition of the program. And this one is a lot more wonky than other installments, but then again, that is what many of you are paying for. With almost 450 of these produced so far, I try to seek a balance, but this one tips way into the realm of details about land use. My goal is to increase general awareness of the importance of these rules. It's kind of like a, a role-playing game, if you will. Now, do you know someone under the age of 25 who would like to get a complimentary subscription? A generous contributor has covered the cost for several dozen of these. 
My hope is to find a way to get younger people to engage with planning issues as early as possible. Civilization takes a lot of participation and connection, and that's sort of the hope of this newsletter. If you would like to support its continuance, you can consider becoming a paid subscriber, and that would be very much welcome. The best way to do that is to support me through Substack, and if you do, Ting will match your initial contribution. And if you decide to donate at $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year, you will get the occasional first look at some content, and you'll know that you're helping me write and produce a great amount of material each and every week. Whether or not it's any good or not, that's up to you to decide. And even if you don't sign up for a paid subscription, Ting wants your business. And if you sign up for that through a link in the newsletter, you will get a free installation, a $75 gift card to the downtown mall, and a second month for free. Just enter the promo code COMMUNITY. I'll be back in the near future with another installment of this program. Thank you for listening, and please share with people you think might be interested. See you in the next time, and goodbye. Goodbye.